Welcome to the Whistleblower Newsroom. I'm Christina Borgeson. Press coverage of the sexual vices, grand scale greed, and blatant corruption among members of America's business and political elite has become so pervasive that it's almost white noise to the general public. Nonetheless, there are people out there spending years of their time, energy, and resources exposing and seeking accountability for the often brazen criminal acts of these elites. My guest today, Charles Ortel, is a private investor and writer who specializes in exposing complex financial frauds and political corruption. He exposed massive accounting and valuation irregularities at General Electric, and then turned his attention to nonprofit scams involving dynastic political families on both sides of the political spectrum. He is well known for his ongoing investigation into the Clinton Foundation. A graduate of Harvard Business School, Ortel hosts podcasts on crowdsourcethetruth.org and has been a guest on numerous legacy and new media platforms. Welcome, Charles. Thank you. I've been following your investigation of the Clinton Foundation, and I see that you basically on your website, you stopped in 2015, 2016, at least posting on there. Um, I'm just curious, how did you get into this and what did you discover? A friend came to me and said, you understand these complex financial matters. Could you take a look at it? So I did. And, and it took me a while, took me about two weeks realized that it was a gigantic, unprosecuted charity fraud and corruption exercise. Um, what was your first sign? This what was your first this... sign? Well, uh, the, the, when you cross-check uh, what donors say they gave to the Clinton Foundation in their financial reports of what the Clinton Foundation reports it received, there are hundreds of millions of dollars of irregularities, in particular in 2007 and eight for example, when Hillary was mounting her first failed exercise to try to be president. And as I discovered, um, you can get a lot more information about a charity than you can about a typical uh, publicly traded American company. Because American charities, and particularly those that operate abroad, have to file reports in multiple states if they solicit anywhere in the U.S. and That's then right. in all the countries. Were you noticing that um, the charity, the, the money that was going in that, that these people reported giving to the Clinton Foundation was a lot more than the Clinton Foundation was reporting as receiving. Exactly. OK. And a, a specific case in point, we're here in the middle of covid territory. A very large healthcare player is something called Unitaid, U-N-I-T-A-I-D, which is housed within the World Health Organization. That is the single largest donor to the Clinton Foundation group of su supposed charities. Having given over time since about 2006 more than $600 million, tremendous amount of money. I've now been at this for five years, and I could tell you one of the most astounding things about the Clinton Foundation is that from a technical legal standpoint, it doesn't exist. What do you mean? It's, to be in good standing as a charity, you have to have uh, articles of incorporation. When you amend those articles of incorporation, you have to provide what's called a conformed copy, copy that shows all of the changes. And you also have to have bylaws. In order to do it properly, people have to adopt bylaws. They then have to register with the IRS and get up the purposes of it. And they have to be truly tax exempt. You can't say that your purpose as a charity is to lessen inequality. 
that's the same as making money. <laughs> you have to say that you're providing healthcare if that's what you want to do on a charitable basis, because there are plenty of companies that provide healthcare and make money off of it. So if this were any family other than the Clinton family, and if the Bush family had not noticed what was going on and said, you know, we could do this, and the Obama family had noticed and said, we could do this, um, any non-political family would have been barred from doing what the Clintons have done from inception on October 23rd, 1997, which in my view is to use the idea that they're engaged in charity as a clandestine way to raise money, to feather their personal nests, and to finance their political campaigns. Well, you can see all this if you're a there, there was a, a hearing on the Clinton Foundation uh, irregularities and uh, or in looking into having having there were a couple of whistleblowers uh, who came up and spoke. Uh, and uh, there were these two financial investigators. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. One was Lawrence Doyle and uh, the other one was, I think, uh, John Moynihan. And they said exactly what you said. They said that, first of all, the Clinton Foundation did a lot of things way beyond what they were approved to do. And he said, and some of them were actually uh, profit-making enterprises. And he said that he would not characterize the Clinton Foundation as a foundation, that he would characterize it as a family partnership. Business. No, I know. I know those gentlemen well. Um, the that's exactly right. I mean, so as a te from a technical legal standpoint, if we contrast, for example, to see what we're talking about here, the distinction, contrast the Clinton Foundation with the Trump Foundation, and the way in which Letitia James, the Attorney General, went hard after the Trump Foundation for basically not having their corporate paperwork uh, done done properly, their reports were improper, and and although. The, the chief sources of funding for the Trump Foundation was the Trump family. That doesn't mean that you can run roughshod over reporting requirements. That doesn't mean that you can't really have board meetings and you don't have an independent board and you don't do all the niceties that you have to do, particularly when you claim, and this is not the Trump Foundation, but the Clinton Foundation, when you claim that you're a special type of charity, and that's called a public charity. A public charity stands in the shoes of government in the eyes of the law and, and the literature. And so it must serve a public purpose, indeed exclusively serve a public purpose. So you can't, a, pub, a public charity cannot in fact be controlled by a family. It's legally impossible. The Clinton Foundation, since I think it's about November 2nd, 2015, that is to say while Hillary was still running the second time, the Clinton Foundation or what is called the Bill Hillary and Chelsea Clinton Foundation attempted to amend its bylaws on November 2nd, uh, sorry, did I say November, uh, November 2nd, 2013, I meant, before she ran, they attempted to amend their bylaws to concentrate control of this public charity in the hands first of Bill, Hillary, and Chelsea Clinton, not only at board meetings, but in the, between board meetings, and there are very few board meetings for most charities, there are typically four, maybe eight, but in between the board meetings, the, the power to direct the affairs of the Bill Hillary and Chelsea Clinton Foundation and its various affiliates that it controls are vested in the hands of Bill, Hillary, and Chelsea personally and not subject to review. 
what? by the way they it's a preposterous approach it's a preposterous approach made only possible by the fact that the clintons today have arkansas which is the home state of the jared and certainly Wait, they, they incorporate it it's it's you, incorporated sir. in in arkansas is that what you just said yeah the most well, most of the Clinton charities are incorporated in Arkansas, but when you operate here in New York, New York's laws are tougher than Arkansas's. So if you want to operate a, an Arkansas-based charity soliciting here in New York, you have to file paperwork in New York, and it has to be truthful. And unlike your IRS forms, for example, which don't, to the public, explain where your government grants came from and, and the amounts, in New York, you're required to make that, those disclosures public not simply for U.S. government grants, but for all government grants. And they've never done that properly. For well, why haven't they, why haven't, why haven't their, you know, their status, why hasn't their 501c3 status been revoked then? Well, because the IRS, in the, particularly in this, in this area, is hopelessly corrupt, what I would say. I mean, lesser charities, far smaller charities, uh, have been shut down. Interesting, there's a congresswoman who was briefly in prison for, I think, a term of four years, but got out when COVID, named Corinne Brown. And she represented, she's an African-American woman. She'd been in Congress, I think, 20 years. In 2016, almost exactly at the same time that James Comey announced that there was nothing to see here on the Hillary Clinton email, uh, the Justice Department went hard after Corinne Brown and sent her to prison for infractions which in total amount to about two million bucks. Whereas the, the uh, scale of the Clinton Foundation, if you count the Clinton Global Initiative, which is a total fraud and a fake entity, you're talking close to a hundred billion dollars. Now, I think okay. the reason they let all this stuff slide is that the, Demo the, the regulatory apparatus here in New York State in particular, where the bulk of the employees of the Clinton Foundation, excluding Clinton Health Access Initiative, which is up in Boston International, um, the, the New York state apparatus, which I have contacted uh, numerous times, refuses to enforce laws on the books against this politically connected charity. The FBI investigated the Clinton Foundation at least twice, once between 2001 and 2005. If you go on the FBI vault, which is a public document, you can see three separate data dumps on this. Uh, and the people directing that, event, uh, Robert Mueller, was personally briefed on this. James Comey led the, invest, led the um, uh, as U.S. Attorney Southern District, he led the DOJ side of it. Rod Rosenstein was in the uh, uh, Justice Department in the Anti-Fraud Division, I think. And these gentlemen, spending four years, and all the many people who were on this case couldn't see the obvious fact that this thing had never filed a tax return for 1997, its first partial year of operation. It had never adopted legitimate articles of incorporation. It's, I mean, you just go through it. It is a textbook case in fraud. And it was set up not to do anything that Bill Clinton wanted to do when he left office. It was set up to be a presidential records repository based in Little Rock and based in a specific part in Little Rock. Had these genius lawyers, and Bill and Hillary supposedly are genius lawyers, wanted to expand the purview of the foundation, they could have done so by seeking approval from the IRS and going and saying, listen, we started out, we were just going to be in Little Rock. We didn't know Hillary was going to become a senator. We were going to move to Chappaqua in Washington, D.C. 
now we want to do something more than just Arkansas. We want to do this African aid stuff and Indian aid stuff. And we want to pretend that the Clinton Global Initiative is a charity when it's really a grifter form, in my opinion. Um, How does it work? How does the grifter, the uh, Clinton uh, Global Initiative work as a grifter charity? So, so the, there are multiple books on this subject that are very interesting. Many of them are told by Clinton sympathizers. So one of them, there's a guy I don't like politics, but I like his writing named Joe Connison. Oh, yeah. And he, he's written many positive puff pieces about the Clinton family. And he wrote a book called Man of the World where he explains that after Bill left, Doug Band, who is in the news very much recently on the outside of the Clinton world, and, and Bill went to the World Economic Forum. And they more or less watched this and said, we could do this. And were it a real charity, it, it was clever. What they reasoned is that people don't have to necessarily go to Davos, but heads of state come to New York every September for the UN general meeting. So rather than trying to pay a lot of heads of state to go somewhere like Little Rock, have a forum where you get the heads of state to come to your forum, and then you can charge admission to people who want to try to do deals with those heads of state or their finance minister, get resource concessions, whatever. You can bring in virtue signalers who would get the big media uh, coverage that they were able to get. But when you look at the documents that are supposed to define how this was organized and how it should be operated, they don't describe a charity. You know, they, they describe really a kind of a business development forum. And I, I actually checked, I, I suspected this had something to do with Bill and Hillary's experience with Renaissance Weekend. This is something that I think was down in South Carolina at Hilton Head, done between Christmas and New Year's by Democrat activists. And you go down there, it's by invitation only, and you talk whatever you want to talk about as you're eating whatever you want to eat, drinking whatever you want to drink. And I explicitly asked them, and I have evidence of that in the response, are you a charity? Because I doubted that that could actually be a charity. And I said, absolutely not. So I think they, they looked at their experience in Renaissance Weekend and said, if we have a big gab fest where Bill's going to be there with Hillary and Hillary might be the next president, um, we can get all these people to come. And then... I'm sure you've donated to charities. We all have. Most people like to keep all that stuff quiet. But in charity world, the real people who are giving money away, they don't talk about what they might do in the future. They might make pledges. Very frequently, those are binding pledges. But the Clinton Global Initiative's novel concept was to have people come in and say that they, they weren't making a pledge and they, and they weren't writing a check. They were making a, quote, commitment to action. And that allowed all kinds of crazy people to get to go to the, this forum. One in particular stands out. I want to say by 2006 or thereabout, there's a guy called Raphael, Foli, uh, Raphael Folieri, something like that, from Italy. And he arrived, a young man in his 20s, a handsome Italian guy with a heavy accent, charming New York, saying that his father was connected to the Catholic Church and he had this opportunity to uh, snap up surplus property that the Catholic Church was trying to sell at bargain basement prices. Could, we set, could he set up, could he find some money from amongst, and he got to Doug Band, and he got to this guy, Ron Burkle, and it got more and more flamboyant. You know, the meetings, he booked a big office in Olympic Tower, I think it was. He would have greet people wearing uh, cleric robes. He had a nun as a secretary. 
before long, he's charming Anne Hathaway, uh, the actress, is his girlfriend, flying her on private jets here and there. He coaxed the money out of a billionaire in California. He went to the Clinton Global Initiative. He actually went down, I think, to the Dominican Republic and spent New Year's Eve partying with the Clintons. And at one of these initiatives, Clinton, Bill, I think, brought him up stage. And isn't this wonderful? This young guy, what, you know, look at how charitable he is. What a success. And almost, I want to say within a week, the guy was in Rikers Island. Everything he said was false. Every single thing. What did he do? Just take money from people? and Exactly. He had no money. Yeah, but... Where does how does that involve the Clinton Global Initiative? How does that involve? He he, he made presentations at the Clinton Global Initiative. He was oh so he was oh okay he was brought in, but but I what I'm trying I'm trying to understand like you hear you hear pay for play you hear that that's the uh, that was the real coin of the realm for the foundation and all the Clintons nonprofit activities is 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 that Correct. I mean, even what you're talking about, the Clinton Global Initiative, if if you put it in the charity uh, framework, it sounds like pay for play, really. You know, right. you, so, you know, you get access to people with money and, you know, you give whatever you give a piece of the pie or whatever. Could you talk about specific pay for play uh, activities that went on? Sure. Um, but be- before we get there, though, and I'm okay. happy to do that, but before we get there, um, pay for play corruption involving a political official can be very difficult to prove. You have yes, to prove I know. That the, you have to prove that the official knowingly accepted money for a corrupt purpose while in office. And there's all, there's all sorts of benchmarks that make it very tough in the end for people like Peter Schweitzer to prove the allegations. Uh, concerning uranium one and Clinton Cash and that one that w- w- involved multiple Canadians, uh, people based in Canada, in Canada, trying to uh, routing over a hundred million dollars various ways from Canada and elsewhere down to Clinton entities. Uh, the allegation is in the hope that they would get favorable treatment for a deal as they tried to build this publicly traded uranium operation that ultimately was sold out. It's a very long and tawdry tale. It may, in fact, be pay for play, but a much easier thing to prove with a charity, and this is standard Clinton operating procedure, get the press focused over in a place where you're not going to get caught in a lurid scandal like Monica Lewinsky or this. Don't turn them over to a much simpler place, which is you are supposed to take money. You're supposed to raise about $100 million to put a campus up in Little Rock. That's all you were supposed to do. All the stuff for AIDS, all these billions of dollars, it tends to be, you have no authority to do that. Going around the world and, and asking for that money, taking that money, not necessarily putting that money inside a charity is a charity fraud for which the standard of, of, of proof is much simpler than pay for pay. pay. Oh. You see, and that's why I'm ordinarily focused here. I'm This entity, the supposed, the name of the entity is the original one, the William J. Clinton Presidential Foundation. It did not file a tax return for 1997. It wasn't organized properly in 1997. That Just those two things right there, you fail. All subsequent activities, you fail because of these first two errors. You can't correct them. 
its application for tax seeking tax exemption for the IRS was materially false and misleading. It should never have been granted. But the Clintons were still in the White House and Bill and Hillary had selected the heads of the IRS. So as a guest, the IRS just said, you know, we'll look the other way here and let's see how bad could it be. Um, and you continue down this track. There are, there are far smaller players have been sent to prison for long prison terms for charity frauds involving a million dollars, two million dollars. This thing, to give you another sense, you have to have under Arkansas law, which is not very strict, but it's there. Under Arkansas law, a charity much smaller than the Clinton Foundation would have to keep its books and records using American generally accepted accounting principles. Not one audit that has ever been put forward as being a real audit of the Clinton Foundation, in my opinion, is an audit that complies with generally accepted accounting principles. It doesn't, for example, you can't do an audit of an entity that doesn't exist. And you can't, you know, doesn't have its paperwork right, properly right, around the right, world. And you, right. can't, you can't say that what we're going to do here is we're going to put in a chief financial officer who is a bonehead and get that person to write a letter saying everything's fine and rely on it when you, a veteran accounting person, know the law, know how charities work, and realize that for the, the first time any attempt at an audit was made by the Clinton Foundation was June 9, 2006. That's the first time. And Again, what happened? It's a, it's a complete, it's a mathematically, this is my area. I'm not an accounting, accounting person, but I'm a corporate finance guy. The financial statements that circulate in the public domain are on their face false. You can check financial statements. If you're somebody like me and you don't have to be all that experienced, you have three things typically. You have an income statement that tracks your revenues and your expenses. You have a balance sheet that tracks your assets and your liabilities. You have a cash flow statement, which looks at how your cash moved during a period. All of those and those statements need to reconcile. There cannot be variances when you start checking them. There are massive variances throughout these financial statements. Major league errors. Overstatement of property, plant, and equipment by 40 plus million dollars. Why would they do that? Because they're trying to, I, in my opinion, what they were doing, they realized very quickly, particularly as they got into, uh, Bill got experience with the American India Foundation, and then the tsunami in Haiti, and these natural disasters, what happens is a big natural disaster happens and we all, many of us, good people, will hear that a bipartisan group of former presidents has decided to help ten, you know, people afflicted by horrible damage in 10 countries around the Indian Ocean. We'll reach in and now that you can do it on the internet, we'll flip in $10 each, $100 each, and suddenly you have this gigantic pool of money and the question is, does that money actually reach the afflicted areas or is it skived off? And we don't yet have the ability to keep up with the internet fraudsters that we need. We don't have the will, the international will, to put together a regulatory body that would say, when there is a natural disaster, if somebody steals from a charity more than you name the level, 100 bucks, 1,000 bucks, 10,000 bucks, rest of your life in prison. No, really serious penalties. So um, I mean, the Haitians. I'll tell you, I was I was reared in Haiti, and um, I my brother uh, was an industrialist down there. He's retired. Uh, he had 
he had interest in a couple of breweries down there. And um, when the when the earthquake happened, he said the first first of all, Clinton went down there and basically was given or organized with the Haitian government total control over uh, post earthquake activities. Okay. And my brother called me. He was absolutely outraged because he said that the CBs were there. The Navy CBs were there and they were going to come in and clean out the rubble and Clinton's team. And they could have done it, you know, in very short order because the U.S. military, if they're coming in to help and not to, you know, invade, they they're <laughs> they're they're fabulous. <laughs> so and they said, no, 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 no. No, you can't come in here and do that. We're going to hire locals uh, and we're going to arrange for local companies and so on to do it. And as a result, the Haitians remained under rubble for months and months and months and months. I mean, that alone, I felt, was shocking. And then, you know, the Haitians even now complain about where's that money? Where is that earthquake money? Yeah, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm not a, I'm an anti big government guy, but to the extent we chip money into uh, tax coffers for government, I think that money should primarily protect vulnerable people, starting with this country. And there are many vulnerable people in this big, rich country. But to the extent we want to give money elsewhere around the world, it should go to protect the vulnerable. And to hear Bill Clinton and, and Chelsea Clinton and uh, Hillary Clinton and their various people go around the world virtue signaling when we, you know what happened in Haiti and I know what happened in Haiti is, is disgusting. It really is. There should talk, be. Talk about talk about what you know happened in Haiti. I'm just telling you what my brother called me up about. He was so he was absolutely appalled. So the the Clinton Bush Haiti fund was set up in 2010 after the earthquake. But money was raised to help in Haiti by Bill Clinton. He was made special envoy to Haiti, some special U.N. envoy for Haiti for some unknown reason. Uh, at the same time, he and people close to the Bush family were, uh, that'd be Jeb Bush, um, were trying to help. I, I believe there had been another, there was another challenge, not as bad as the, the, the 2010 hurricane, but I think there was another challenge in like 2008. And so they were working on some affordable health pro housing project together. Jeb Bush was on the board of it. There was some crook in, in Florida who ultimately went to prison because the whole story about his housing company was just, he, he took the money that he raised from investors and bought private planes and homes and cocaine and stuff. And, um, but the, the, the project to try to provide aid to Haiti um, was never registered properly in, in New York, for example, where Bill was based at the time he was trying to raise money. And where there are after Katrina and after 9-11, there are very tough laws about abusing disaster relief charities. They're not enforced the way they should be, but they're on the books. And so the thing wasn't documented properly. Bill started raising money with his allies in theory for Haiti from various offices without filing the paperwork. There's no proper accounting for all of this. There's an entry in the 2010 
initial and then amended return from the Clinton Foundation that suggests in the grant section that the main Clinton Foundation sent over $30 million as a grant to this Clinton Bush Haiti charity in Baltimore to a post office box where there is no such address for the Clinton Bush Haiti charity. It never registered there. And beyond that, when you start looking and comparing press releases with uh, and, and other publicly available information concerning amounts raised versus amounts declared, there's a lot of missing money. Money was sent from the Clinton Bush Haiti Fund to s charities that were subsequently wound down. Some not prosecuted, but they should have been prosecuted. It's, it's just it's really disgusting to see that that people in in frankly in both political parties because Bush was involved too. Um, to not realize is, is a sort of a small small child understands that you don't go around soliciting, in this case, over $10 billion from various government agencies and stuff outside the Clinton Bush Haiti thing and not put that money to good use inside a country as poor as Haiti. I've never been to Haiti. I was, I was told by a friend of mine whose father was the ambassador to Haiti in the 70s when I was in college, I was thinking of going there. And his father then was the ambassador. And he said, are you crazy? <laughs> I wouldn't go to Haiti. And his father lived there as ambassador. But I'm sure the Haitian people are wonderful and, I, and they, they deal with these tribulations. We should know better. If we're going to have an expansive uh, foreign policy. Yeah, but, th but that's the whole thing. I mean, that's, that's where a lot of powerful people go to make tons of illicit money is in these small, faraway countries, you know, they send their kids or whatever to make deals or what. I mean, I've seen it before. I've seen it before. Right. But, you know? but what I'm saying to you is that if you're going to be, if you're going to hold yourself out as a public servant, the way if you read the oh, well, books about Bill and Hillary, dedicating a lifetime of, to public service, if you're going to hold yourself out that way, you better, when you go to a place with as many challenges as Haiti, with as many scoundrels in Haiti and visiting Haiti, um, when you get involved with a project like that, you should hold yourself to the platinum standard, which doesn't mean you set your, your, your wife's brother's family up in a gold but, extract. But I, I, I think the documentation is there showing that you 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 uh, virtue signal and you hold your you talk that you talk a certain way and that's your fig leaf frankly you have no intention really of walking the straight and narrow on this this is a way to make money i'll tell you the first time i heard about uh fraudulent charities from you know being set up by high level people it was from a, a guy uh who worked for al jazeera and he said, yeah, that's what these some of these people do. They set up these charities and they get a lot of money and then they purport to go to. And in the in the case of Haiti, you have to understand, Bill had it locked up. He was in control. He had a deal with the Haitian government. His right. team was in charge of the recovery. Right. No, I, I understand that well. And it's not this template has been used, in my view, by the Clintons and by other former world leaders and aspiring world leaders. It's not this is not simply a Clinton Foundation problem or a Bush Foundation problem or an Obama Foundation problem. I think it's a Tony Blair Foundation problem and multiple other 
Are you saying Obama Foundation is based on is similar and the Bush uh, Foundation is based on similar? Well, uh, yeah, Uh, the the, the Bush Foundation, there are two of them, the main one, are Presidential Library Foundation. And the Presidential Libraries Act of 1955 is amended in 1986 is a narrow charter. What you're supposed to do is you're supposed to set up a you're supposed to to erect a facility which you transfer to the government to house all of the presidential records created or received during a president's terms in office. That's what you're supposed to do. If you want to make available a facility nearby where scholars from across the political spectrum can come and study our property, people's property, in that facility, that's fine. That's that's a narrow charter. If you want to go beyond that and start granting uh, master's degrees in public service as they're doing with Bill Clinton's School of Public Service. And I shudder to think what that curriculum looks like. But um, you you have to get a special approval for that. If you then want to set up something to to alleviate poverty or to promote the charitable distribution of drugs and medical attention, you name different things that you might want to do, that entity needs to be tightly controlled it has to have real articles of incorporation that define charitable, actual charitable purposes. It should have a bipartisan board, and it, it should actually do what it says it wants to do. So right. in the case right. of the Obama Foundation, which I have actually spoken at length several years ago to the person who then was the general counsel explaining the, the flaws that I saw in it, and they listened politely and basically said at the end of the day, F you, just going to do what we want to do. I mean, the the and the oh. person I spoke to, by the way, was very nice and very professional. But the when you look at the publicly available papers, which are have to be available, they state that one of the charitable purposes of the Obama Foundation is religious. There is no religious purpose in storing presidential records. There just there isn't. So that would I said to them, you better change it. That's ridiculous. And the next thing is, the reason presidential libraries, if you look at the legislative history and you read up on it, the reason they're tax exempt is because in theory, they relieve the National Archive, the burden of storing all those records. So I started mouthing off about the Obama Foundation years ago. And uh, well, apparently, say, I, did you hear that his documents aren't going to be in the foundation? I, I heard that's something. what I'm just saying. That's that's what I'm just getting to. So the purpose of a presidential library is to store these presidential records. And so I started saying, okay, you know, where are these records? And who has custody and control over them? Who's making sure that we're not going through a sifting project process, as I think happened with the Clinton Foundation record, Clinton records, and maybe the Bush records, that, that teams of loyalists may be inserted into the National Archives and contractors the same. Are they, did they go through the H.W. Bush papers and say, you know, these Iran-Contra papers are pretty incriminating. We better 86 them, make sure they go away. And then with Clinton, you know, they, there was a long period, October 23rd, 1997, until January 20th, 2001, when Bill was president and were interacting with people who were interacting with the National Archives about his record. What incriminating records may have been disappeared in that period? And then the same thing, there's 33 million emails are missing of the George W. Bush presidency. 
So the process of making sure that we know that presidential records are actually kept properly has no teeth behind it. We see that in Hillary Clinton's missing emails. By the way, that guy Moynihan, the other thing he said, besides saying that they operated like a family partnership, he also said they acted as a foreign agent. He said he looked at contracts, MOUs, contracts with governments. The, the, right. the Clinton found they had contracts with governments. I had no. And he said they acted as a foreign agent, which meant that they were not entitled to be a, right. a nonprofit. When you think about whether the U.S. taxpayer should subsidize uh, an entity, you have to uh, ask yourself, well, is, is the entity furthering the interests of the U.S. taxpayer? And so if what you're doing is just carrying out a duty that a foreign government owes to its citizens at your expense, that shouldn't be tax deductible. And indeed, it isn't by the letter of the law tax deductible. So when you get back into the question of uh, why were people so exercised about no disclosures concerning the foreign government grants to the Clinton Foundation? This well, is one of the re reasons why they were massive. No, but he, he was saying even further that they were acting as foreign right. agents. Right. So it's, it's illegal. Is no one able to prosecute uh the Clinton Foundation or and it's and it's uh, top people for this. I mean, is it just there's no there's no the Justice Department doesn't want to do it because they're protecting the Clintons. And so, no, this will never happen. Well, you know, I, I would hope the answer is it's going to happen. And I frame it a little differently in a world where Republicans are 45 percent and Democrats are 52 percent and the independents are 3%, you could imagine a Washington, D.C., which would say, all right, both sides cheat. Neither side wants to be exposed. We do need you know, political campaigns are expensive to finance. Uh, this money is, in theory, going to good purposes. We don't, who's really going to know where it went? Do we really want to go chase American foundations into the Democratic Republic of the Congo and the, and the jungle and Haiti and and, and waste all this time and energy when we have more. In that kind of a world, you could cover this stuff up forever. But what I think is going on now, and has been going on really since before the Trump campaign, is the tectonic plates underneath political discourse in many countries are shifting. The need to identify as a member of one party or another, it's just not there. You don't get a hell of a lot unless you're in a one-party state being in that party. On the other hand, what we are doing now could not be done you know, over the, the, the communications we're doing right now and then being sent around wherever they're going to be sent around was not easy to do on a cost-effective basis even 10 years ago. And so people who want to think for themselves are getting closer to the truth faster and faster and faster. And the magnitude of the injustice here is, is massive. I mean, it's, it, we are... You've piled on our children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren, a mountain of debt. We've erected uh, governments that are structurally unsound, that regularly spend way more than they take in by way of tax revenue. We are not doing, we don't have a good record spending the money that already has been spent. Yeah, but people, I argue, I argue, first of all, this isn't about Democrat or Republican. It really isn't. This is, to me, this is about thug elites. I agree. 
the Clintons and the Bushes are very tight. You know, they they may be political opponents, you know, but they're very tight. And these are thug elites. They use they 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 rig the courts. They they rig the government departments, law enforcement, justice, this and that. You know, they they use the best possible lawyers. And then sometimes and now even now, look at you, you've you've looked at the Clinton Foundation. It's you say it's plain as the nose on your face that they're operating illegally. And yet they've been doing it and they're still doing it and they're still raising money and on and on it goes. And now Obama has his and the Bushes have theirs. And it's and (laughs) how does it end? How do you put a stop to it? Well, so when I started uh, back in uh, on GE, which is actually in some ways a tougher target, because the people inside GE are all all have an interest in making sure that every penny of revenue earned by GE goes into the corporate treasury. Now, there's the profit motive is actually can be a very good thing when it comes to control of an enterprise. Right. When in a not-for-profit world, if you're giving money away, you may become more casual, particularly if you're a crook as to how much money you actually collected. So there's a statistic out of NYU that says the average profit margin recently in America on companies is 7%, meaning that for every dollar of revenue, 7, 7% is given. 7 goes to the bottom line. In a crooked charity like I believe the Clinton, as I believe the Clinton Foundation and others are, you could say you're raising $150 million for the, 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 the thing in Little Rock when it actually costs only 100 skive off 50 million and nobody will be the wiser particularly if the accountants are are inclined to check and the state government people are inclined to check and then when you move into fighting hiv and aids and now covid and whatever else they're doing around the world and you're talking about billions and billions of dollars the first question is how much revenue that was sent towards this operation is recorded in the books my suspicion is that far more money was sent towards the clinton than you see in the revenues and recently, I noticed a lot of stories. Some people on my Twitter feed were claiming that I was responsible for the stories when I wasn't. Um, the recent November 15, 2021 deadline for the 2020 financial statements of the Clinton Foundation showed that their top line revenues had plummeted from uh, way, way down. Now, all these stories, you know, they tried to make the point that when Hillary was a, a viable potential candidate to be president, it made sense to send. And when she was secretary of state. And when she was secretary, now that she's out, that uh, this is a very suspicious thing. And many different, not just right leaning uh, blogs and publications, many different people are coming to that conclusion. All of them missed the most important point. The most important point is the Clinton Foundation was established to, to put up this presidential campus and by operation of law had to come up with an endowment equal to 20 percent of the cost of constructing the campus and give that endowment to the National Archives. That's the only endowment that the papers, their articles of incorporation, give them the authority to source. But in around 2013, when guess who had to get money together to run for president again, they decided to come up with a new endowment, and a general purpose endowment. You cannot normally do that for a charity that doesn't have its papers and work, has, has all kinds of problems and recorded violations across the world. There are all kinds of things that you you can't just say, now, I've got this person over here who ran for president once, 
and failed miserably. Now she needs more money. Chelsea's getting along. She's got expensive taste. You know, we want to have a general purpose endowment. And oh, by the way, the, the entity that's going to manage this endowment is run by close friends of Chelsea. Um, and Chelsea's going to go in and run, and run. You can't do that in a public charity, but they do it. And what they're projecting to the world is we are above the law. Well, of course, they are above the law. In fact, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I talk to look, I, I, I talk to FBI whistleblowers all the time, you know, and uh, they all, you know, no one's above the law. No one's above the law. But in fact, in this country, beyond a certain level of power and resources, you are indeed above the law. I mean, I think it's time that we start to admit that we're a third world country because, you know, I don't see this has been going on. This has been going on now for what? 25 years. 25 years. Right. Right. Well, I I would say we're beginning to see it. it I started to tell you about GE that when I began on that process, people said, you know, you're one guy. You may have some connections. GE's a gigantic corporation, very powerful. How are you mm-hmm. going to? And I said, listen, it, it, uh, what we can do is we can change public opinion. We can have the ocean of public opinion chip away at the, the traditional view, the accepted view of GE. And that's what's happened now. It's accepted. The GE went way off the rail. The idea that a, a conglomerate makes sense, which was GE's basic position, they reject it now. They're splitting into pieces. So uh, it takes time to move this. When I started in 15 on, on the Clinton Foundation, I realized the political significance, potential political significance of it. I realized it was a tough nut to crack, but it's much bigger than just the Clinton Foundation. It's the whole the not-for-profit world. There are many fine not-for-profits. Sadly, there are a lot of bad ones, and they, they masquerade, whether it's the American Heart Association or things that sound good, uh, but when you look into the books and records, they're not so good. There are also right. private private foundations that are basically virtue signaling reputation washing operations for monopolists. Those should not be shared. If, they, if people want to, if the monopolists want to give their billions away, they need to give it to not-for-profits to which they have no ongoing connection of any kind. All for that. But to set up a Gates Foundation, which was a, a larger story, where you're taking appreciated stock that you got for nothing when you founded Microsoft and you're giving it away at a massive valuation to get a tax break on your federal tax return, that is not charity, particularly when you continue to control that stock. Well, even, even worse, I think, is, some, is in, in the case of Gates Foundation, he uses his charity to promote his business. It, it's strictly forbidden you know, on, the book, on the books. It's strictly I mean, forbidden. I know it's strictly forbidden, but that's what he does. And he promotes... You know, he promotes some of this stuff is, um, you know, he's in, in he's now into healthcare vaccines and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, you talk to people in Africa and India about the Gates Foundation and uh, they have a lot to say about, you know, you know, experimental vaccines with, that injured children and so on, you know. So uh, it, it's it's th- these foundations, these billionaires and you know powerful people who can attract billions then use those billions either in in the case what Moynihan found as I said you know they were they were basically doing business for themselves and and the other thing 
you know, insiders from the foundation were complaining about uh, Bill using foundation money as his private piggy bank. And there was a lot of uh, personal fund, you know, using it for personal purposes and so on. When you when you think about when you go back to basic principles and you say um, the Clintons on paper are well educated, they're both lawyers. They must have taken a course on charity. Hillary was involved as first lady and beforehand with many charities, including on the board of some. It's not that complicated to follow charity laws. I mean, if if you're going to operate in 80 countries from multiple offices in the United States, that's complicated because many different currencies and you've got to have strong controls and all that. But if all you're going to do is make sure that all of the books and records of the Clinton presidency are in a, in a campus in Little Rock and that people are able to study it. You should be able to do that without a massive office in New York and multiple satellite offices without uh, having your daughter fly private and stay in fancy hotels. And they, what they love to do is they love to say, well, you know, we're not taking a salary. Well, <laughs> that's one of the oldest tricks in the book. Say, I'm not taking a salary. I'm just having the yeah, foundation. But I'm taking private planes and yeah. yeah. And, and, and with those connections that you get at the Clinton Global Initiative, you shoehorn Chelsea into various high paying jobs. People see how that the Clintons are bankable. The most obnoxious thing is one that very few people have talked about so far. All the hue and cry over the, the Trump Russian collusion delusion. Around December 1st, 2008, when Hillary Clinton had been out there as going to be the uh, next Secretary of State elected by Barack Obama. Bill Clinton, in the name of the Clinton Global Initiative Asia, hosted a meeting in, I think it was Hong Kong, for all for people to come and hear about what the Clinton uh, Global Initiative and the Clinton Foundation wanted to do prospectively in this transition period from George W. Bush to Barack Obama. And grifters from around the world obviously flooded into that meeting. That operation is not even mentioned in, uh, from memory now, in the Memorandum of Understanding, which is a meaningless document, no legal force in effect, that was set up to, quote, protect or reduce the conflicts between Hillary as Secretary of State and Bill as the Clinton Foundation. Not even mentioned. If Donald Trump, imagine if Donald Trump had done that wow. in 2016, had uh, Jared Kushner, you know, or Melania or all of them go over to Hong Kong and say, with my Donald Trump Foundation, this is what we're going to do going forward here. Yeah, but I, I do think that that um, Jared, I, I do think that there's uh, Jared was doing business or setting up for future business um, with, for example, the Saudis, sure, you know, sure. Absolutely. I, I think I think, uh, first of all, the fact that, you know, I I, I anyway, I, I'll say that. And I, and I think that I, I don't think Trump is any different in trying to get his, you know, have his kids go around the world with him while he's president and, you know, see what the uh, business opportunities are, <clears throat> et cetera. You know, I, I it's look. It's. They all do it. They all do it around the world. But the problem with all this is, is that it 
our judicial system, our law enforcement system, everything is corrupted by these people. Right. Through their activities, including this, which is a big money making activity for them. What, what is charitable about the Clinton family? Now, how, how did they start out with nothing? Admittedly, by Hillary, in Hillary Clinton's own words, we were broke in the White House. How do they have two homes in Chappaqua, a mansion in Washington, D.C., assets around the world? Well, how did that happen? Well, I, I mean, the same could be said of the Obamas. Exactly. I'm sure, you know, I mean, it, it, they're the nouveau riche of the uh, of the pre- you know, you sit in the presidential chair and everybody, you know, around you. It, I mean, look at Biden and Hunter. I mean, I've never seen anything so overt. In my, it's right. absolutely overt. You know, he forgets he, you know, he forgets his laptop, and the next thing you see is a video where he's telling somebody he's in he, you know, some woman who's on the bed, you know, and he's, uh, you know, they're obviously en flagrante, and uh, uh, he's telling her, you know, I'm I. I'm sick and tired of of paying my father's uh, paying everything for my father. I, you know, I make gazillions. And, you know, how does he make the gazillions? He flies on the plane when his father, the vice president, goes X, Y, you know, business deals are made. I mean, now the art project. I mean, er, (laughs) it's it's just, you know, uh, you know, you want to you want to you want to buy some influence here. Buy this art. In French, there's a word, hallucinant, you know, hallucinogenic to know that your presidents are doing this stuff openly. What I think has been going on really since about 1989, as the the Cold War ended, as the Soviet Union fell apart and Eastern Europe fell apart and China and India moved towards a form of capitalism, is that assets and opportunities that were controlled by government were transferred from those governments to cronies at, at values that were unfairly low. Oh, yeah. Way, way low. And a large business, we're talking here trillions of dollars, tens, maybe 20, you know, hundreds of trillions, even over a long period of time, were transferred and not um, kept for the benefit of the citizens in the countries where the, you know, those governments operated, but instead they were transferred to these elite thugs, or these thug elites. And I'm not saying every one of those transactions was wrong, but many, many were wrong. And many of the people, a market developed in getting the approval of the, of the government officials who could make these transactions happen. You take, for example, a name that comes up a lot. One is George Soros, another is Mark Rich, is dead, uh, as people who would cultivate, shall we say, government officials and regulators around the world to get in a preferred position to get these assets, not at fire sale price, but at discounted price. And if we were going to do any kind of a rigorous study of all this at a Harvard Business School, at a Yale Law School, whatever, there's a lot of evidence out there. I've seen a fair amount of it, not all of it, obviously. You could go back over this and it would be worthwhile for historians to do that. One of my Twitter followers was saying, oh, you know, I I really like uh, that she really liked my tweets, but she couldn't understand what it was that I had against the Clintons. And I have no personal animus against the Clintons. I don't even know them, but I I certainly uh, their activities, a lot of their activities, not just in the 
nonprofit charitable world, but a lot of their activities are so deeply troubling to me that I think they're worth uh, scrutiny from time to time. Right. Now, you did mention that on my site, you're right, that the, the it stops being populated with stuff around 2016. That's because in 2017, I teamed up with somebody I think you've met, Jason Goodman, and of CrowdSource the Truth. And we've been doing uh, two podcasts a week since June of 2017, uh, average length about two hours, going through this all sorts of different ways. We've traveled to various places around the world and around the country. We've done a lot after uh, March of 2020. We, we almost twice a week would go walk around New York City and other places and show people how bad we, we were here, where the conditions were under lockdown, all the while talking about the Clinton Foundation, about Echo Health Alliance, about all sorts of other um, charity frauds. So um, there's a, a large amount of information uh, you can find on the web. Unfortunately, because what we are doing attacks uh, sacred cows that are protected by Google, uh, Jason's operations get uh, clamped down and even shut down. And so he's had to be pretty creative. He's on, uh, these, these broadcasts are on Subscribestar, they're on Patreon, behind paywalls. Uh, but you'll see there's a tremendous amount of information. What we do is in those, those podcasts, until about March 2020, when we veered in a new format, Almost every one of the podcasts had slides that we referred to that were available. All of them are free, by the way, which take you to this Twitter followers asking, you know, what are we so concerned about? It's all there. There's probably several thousand pages of slides pointing you to facts and problems and why there are issues and what the laws are that were broken, why the financials are, you know, are, are bad, why they're, why this is a class, the largest unprosecuted set of charity frauds in recorded history, in my opinion. I want to thank you for coming on and I'm I'm going to follow up on this because I'm very, very interested in seeing what's going to happen. So keep me posted. I certainly will. And thanks so much for having me on.